0: There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, It's a a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care.
2: you by Monday Distillery, who makes sophisticated, elk-free drinks that still have all the taste of a good time. G&T without the tears, whiskey without the wobbles, and other delicious cocktails too. Switching the ritual, instead of ditching the ritual, is so much easier. Stay in high spirits, keep a clear mind, head to mondaydistillery.com for more. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today in the Zoom room, I'm super excited to be joined by Mark Purser from the Bamboo Yoga School in Byron Bay. How are you, Mark?
1: I'm really well. Yeah, I've had a good day. Interesting day. Uh, I taught yoga this morning and always puts me in a in a nice flow and uh, really happy to be here chatting with you about some of my favorite subjects
2: yeah awesome i 'm so glad to have you on. Thank you for joining us um we 've had quite a few yogis on this podcast, mm. and um I think you might know one of them Brad Hay
1: I certainly know Brad Hay very very well, and uh, we have a lot in common and and some shared history so it 's uh it's there 's a few yogis who've done the dance with uh, substances and found their way, fortunately, to yoga as a, as a perhaps a more viable alternative to previous lifestyles.
2: Yeah, I love having, like I don't have the most full-on yoga practice. It could be a lot better, but I do lean into yoga and that more, um, I guess, somatic work and, and body work. It's helped me connect with myself on a much mm. deeper level and learn to be able to sit in the uncomfortable too
1: and mm. t- to
2: keep my mind steady. So it's a it's a beautiful thing to do for people that are in recovery.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And look my attitude to yoga is very gentle uh in in the sense that I'm not advertising or advocating for a, a full-on yoga practice for most people I think I, I look at the the yoga of life the yoga of acceptance and the path of recovery is ultimately a, a deep practice if you're going to be successful in it needs to be a deep practice of yoga which is about acceptance it's about connecting to the honest truth of how things actually are and looking for seeking the divine in, in all things and if as it is with many people substance abuse whatever that looks like is, is is not serving that then uh yoga you know it can can present itself in in so many different ways like there's there's you know the, i guess the what we imagine a yoga practice to look like which is lots of stretching breath work meditation um, but it can happen in daily life too
2: and i love that seeking the divine and i guess smashing ourselves with alcohol is the absolute, complete opposite, really, in seeking the divine. But that's probably what we are mm-hmm. chasing sometimes when we're chasing oblivion with alcohol. We absolutely. probably are, in a way, trying to seek the divine, but we just don't know how to.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I remember when I sort of first really started to question my my alcohol use, I picked up a book that my father had had uh, called The Path Less Travelled, the Road, the Road Less Travelled, I think it was. Yeah, The Road Less, Less Travelled, I
2: think. It's
1: called, yeah, And M. Scott Peck. Yeah. And he spoke a lot in that about chasing the spirit through the, the bottle of spirits and chasing that Holy Spirit. And, you know, I think through for many of us, we get some insight through, through the use of alcohol and drugs, particularly in the early days. It's like it takes us to a, a place that maybe is not necessarily available so easily. So there's that, you know, it's a, a feeling of connection, uh, but unfortunately, it's not sustainable. And uh, so we need to, for most people anyway, it's not sustainable. So we have to find ways that are more sustainable.
2: God, I'm loving this already. <laughs> We're really a couple of minutes in. Um, can you tell us a bit, so we've got some understanding, um, mm. a little bit about your journey with alcohol and where it started and, you know, how you ended up where you are now? Mm,
1: okay. Uh I listened to one of your podcasts the other day, actually, and I, I laughed a little bit. It just—it seemed very similar to yours, Danny. Uh, and I, I remember fruity being mentioned. Uh, I cringed. I think you—you—you—you were, you, you were, you, you mentioned fruity That was part of my of my teenage years. So was look, it was it when it, the early I started drinking quite young. At the time, I didn't think it was quite young. I was probably like 13, 12 or thirteen. I remember stealing a couple of beers from my dad. And drinking them, and go, oh wow, it tastes disgusting, but I want more. And I lived in a in a world that there was a lot of alcohol around uh, in my family. There was a lot of alcohol, and it, although I didn't realise that, uh, but I contrast it to the world that I live in now, and I realised that there was a lot of people drinking. And, and I didn't have insight as most kids don't. You know, I, I, the only family I really saw closely was my own family, and. Uh, you know, I've reflected. There was a it was a, a meeting place of these mad Irish Catholics, which was my mother's family, who were just so rambunctious and outrageous and hysterical. This huge family. My mum was one of twelve kids, and and they all drank. And my dad came from this sort of fairly uh, sedate Protestant family, who were all a bit manic depressive, and uh, so there was but still liked to drink. So there was it was a meeting place uh, and I was in the middle of that so I I took to alcohol quite young and and with great enthusiasm it was fun I had a lot of fun in my teenage I was really wild and and I didn't like rules Uh, I I was fairly smart as a young kid but my education got somewhat derailed when I discovered alcohol it wasn't just alcohol smoking weed uh, in there as well but yeah, alcohol just lit me up. It was a, a lubricant for a, a lot of really good times. Uh, Fruity Lexia, as you mentioned, was <laughs> was cheap and cheerful. We, yeah. I think we we used to get casks for four bucks. And oh yeah, us it, like, it was it was like a dollar each. Everyone would put in a dollar, and you Ugh. get a liter of wine. It was so bad. So bad. I think back now, so bad. <laughs> but yeah, we thrived on it. We had all you know, drinking games, and just meeting up in parks and having crazy debauched parties and i thought it was fun i i I don't regret any of it like i was having a really good time through my teens although in hindsight there was actually quite a lot of trauma there and and uh i i was running from stuff and I, I, i was a very difficult son and i i got through school and i got into uh shortly after school i got into a um cadetship actually I went to into journalism cadetship so there was a little period of time there Uh, I sort of got my shit together in the last year of school and got through school okay and then got a cadetship which is not really heard of anymore but it was a thing back then and uh, and then I I was okay for a few years I mean I I was sort of transitioned into the workforce I was working for a big media company uh, and alcohol and drugs was a huge part of that but it didn't feel problematic. It didn't really begin to feel problematic until I started to pull in a slightly different direction. I was really into surfing, and I was, and I've always, always been really into sport. But I've, you know, I'd grown up surfing. Um, but when I left school, I got really into surfing, and I was like, oh, I really want to dial into this, and I, I wasn't very good at surfing so i decided i needed to improve my game somewhat and, and i had i remember reading tom carroll uh very famous surfer
2: yeah, uh, also a,
1: also in recovery he's got yeah. a, a, wonder, a wonderful story of recovery mm-hmm. and has been a great inspiration for me at, at numerous stages in my life but he wrote a book called the wave within and it was talking about his journey back then and he wasn't in recovery then but he was probably not dissimilar to a lot of guys certainly not dissimilar to me it sort of put himself into a lot of different experiences, uh, one of which was yoga. And and he had used yoga a lot and explored yoga. And I read his book and went, oh, maybe I need to practice yoga because it'll improve my surfing. So through that was one bit of inspiration and there was other little bits of inspiration that popped up. But I was in my early 20s and I found my way into a yoga class for the first time. And I loved it. I just absolutely loved that sense of being precious, uh, so present and letting go of anxiety. I I didn't realize, I think, how anxious I had been for so long. And and I I took to yoga like a duck to water. Um, And that was, I would have been 21. But at that point in time, I certainly didn't want to stop drinking. That wasn't part of it. I I had thought that, you know, I'd probably just moderate drinking and I'd just naturally drift away from it to other things. Uh, And from sort of there, I, I found it another yoga teacher who was up in Byron Bay, Lady Louisa Seer, and I moved up to Byron and started practising, studying more intensely and uh, I did a teacher training and started doing a bit of teaching. And then I actually drifted away from that and I went, I never stopped practising yoga, but I went to university, did a a degree at university and and sort of had a bit of a career. They had a family, had kids sort of fairly young, I guess, in my mid-20s. And but by thirty i was I, I think when I really tried to move into family life, that's when uh, I realized that I, I again I was um not able to to marry up the different aspects of my life, and there was this experience of polarizing from one thing to another where I'd been doing lots and lots and lots of yoga, and then I'd go out in a bender and end up pretty messy and Polarized back to something else quite extreme, and that didn't really work well. When when I had young yeah. kids, I was sort of disappearing out on benders, and it was me managing my my health and my my mental well being uh, was yeah, it was really imposing. And I, I thought that drinking was a birthright. Yeah, it,
2: totally. Oh, I can relate to that. I can also relate to that thing of like do it because I was. I was doing quite a bit of yoga through, you know, Lissy and Shane Turner who've Mm -hmm. both been on this podcast and um, having been friends with Lissy for a long time, who was a complete trash bag and then turned her life around and wasn't drinking. And then I was like turning up to yoga classes with her, like hung over. And then, (laughs) and then like, thinking this, I don't want to be here hungover. I want to be here and in this experience. And then also hating being in yoga, like what the fuck am I doing here? I feel so sick. And I wish you would just shut up <laughs> doing Shavasana at the end and just having to lay there and just thinking just to hurry up, just get me out of here. And, you know, just hating it so much, but then yeah. loving it too. And I I think I, was, I went with her to do a yoga retreat in Bali and actually turned up drunk to one of the, to one of the classes and just like, fuck like just so talk about polarization like Mm. one the other and oh anyway so yeah sorry I digress but talk to me more a bit about that you like disappearing and you know going out and getting yourself wasted was that happening often
1: yeah when I was in a relationship uh with my now ex uh the the mother of my kids that became Problem <laughs> when your partner goes out and doesn't come back. I was also working in the music industry, and, and uh, no doubt you're very familiar uh, with that. And
2: what were you doing? Uh,
1: I worked with a guy, Jazzy Smith. I did a few oh, things. No, I, man- I, ma- I managed a couple of museos, but I toured a lot with Jazzy. I love so Jazzy. We, we Yeah, he's awesome. He's, he's, he's one of the nicest humans guy. in the world. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's great and he—it's interesting because he stopped drinking too, and he—he he, uh, and I used to drink together and, you know, as you do when you're on tour. I mean, mm-hmm. who says no to a writer? Uh, free booze. It's amazing. And yep. we had such a great time. But, again, I had Juzzy, who was like my best friend and we worked together and he started to pull away from the drinking because um, I was like his support crew. So I, it was okay for me to drink a bit, whereas, it, you know, it was going to affect his performance. So he was, some people just get it. And he got it. You know, he was he was wise. And I had a few, quite a few other friends actually uh, living in the in the Byron Shire. I'd sort of have my, I'd have my two sets of friends. Some of whom were really tuned in my yoga buddies, and or just not even yoga buddies, but some friends who just understood that drinking too much was not great for the soul. And then I had my other friends who just loved to party. And I would choose which friends that I wanted to hang out with. You know, am I going to have a? And I would move from one group to the other.
2: That is and- so fucking amazing. Like, sorry, I just have to stop you there. That having two sets of friends—that's useful, isn't it?
1: <laughs> consciously
2: making that choice of, like, actually, I'm going to hang out with the trash bags tonight rather than the ones that know that drinking is not good for the soul because that's not convenient for me right now.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like,
2: fucking, that's incredible. I've never heard anyone say that, but that's amazing. Yeah,
1: it was a it was an interesting period of time of my life, and it wasn't just a couple of weeks. There was years that looked like that. And so my relationship, and it did not work well in a relationship. My my uh, partner um, was of the moderate type who didn't really like drinking. And, you know, I'd be, I was with her for that reason because I didn't, I knew my alcohol was, my alcohol consumption was problematic and left to my own devices, I would not be able to control my drinking. So one of the strategies that I implemented was to surround myself with people who would... Helped me to moderate my drinking into surround, which was, on face value, actually fairly sensible. But uh, she, one of the, you know, being in a relationship with somebody, I'd disappear and drink, or if I ever did drink, I usually drink too much. And she didn't really like drinking; she was a really moderate drinker. And having young kids, you know, doesn't it wasn't working. So that relationship deteriorated. Uh, it wasn't just that; there were other other reasons as well. But it, and when we broke up. Uh, I went to being a single parent and that was really difficult for me being a single parent. Like I was, you know, as I said, I was a dog off the leash. So I could just, I moved back into Byron Bay and I was 30 years old and I was acting like I was 21 again. And I was going out all the time. And But still, I wanted to be a good parent. I was really passionate about my kids and really had a, a strong vision for what I wanted to be for them. And it just wasn't meeting up. There was no, uh, there was no, balance in this so you know fast forward over a, a couple of years it, it got pretty bad and and I ended up with some not insignificant mental health challenges i became really depressed and i started seeing actually a, a psychologist at that time or well, over that time so i probably started seeing her just not long after i broke up with my partner but uh, that relationship with the psychologist went over a few years and uh, her name is Rudha Nicholson and she's actually a meditation teacher in the insight meditation tradition so she introduced I had done a lot of yoga and I'd kept up a yoga practice like I always kept but it was more just for sort of physical fitness but she introduced me more to the meditative contemplative aspects of meditation and yoga and I went through, I did a, a number of longer sits and did, went away and did a few sort of longer meditation retreats and, you know, we're dancing over, over years here. But again, I ended up, uh, I, I, I never really wanted to stop drinking. I always thought if I could do enough of this stuff, I would get to a point where I would just be able to drink normally and and that never came true I ended up actually spending a lot of time in the the Mangrove Yoga Ashram which is this amazing huge yoga center just outside of Sydney and I just you know going in there for sort of a month at a time but then I'd let and I was it was amazing I was learning so much I'd feel fantastic but then I'd start drinking again it just didn't feel right and I and I, I think what happened to me over that period of time was it was just about coming to a a place of acceptance through. And I think the meditation really helped that. I just came to a point. like, you know what, if I really want to have the life that I dream of uh, and I really want to fulfill my potential in this life, then I'm really going to have to let go of alcohol. It's not going to work. It's, it's, there's, I can't have it both ways. And, And that was this dawning realization that happened over years until I got to a point where I was actually able to to stop drinking completely, uh, and that was over ten years ago. Now I don't think I've touched alcohol for uh, over eleven years, actually. So, and and from that point when I actually stopped drinking completely, and I actually went to rehab, and that was really helpful. I went into a um, like the point before stopping drinking; it again, it, it had gotten pretty bad. Uh, not so much the drinking; I, I never you know, drank to this point of like complete obliteration, but it was just my, I was just sad. I felt, I was just so sad. This real deep abiding sadness of just not being able to live the life that I wanted to live. And, and, and that's kind of what got me in the end, just this sadness, this acute ongoing sadness that, uh, and so I stopped drinking. I went to rehab. It was a 30-day rehab, which was enough to give me the jolt that I needed. Uh, and then you know, I got a lot of support and the fellowship through AA. That was really amazing. I got a lot of support through there. And then I then came deeply into yoga and came back to my yoga practice, you know, in a whole new way and, and really seeing l- – seeing the whole thing from a bigger perspective at that point. And I had some fantastic yoga teachers who were available to me at that time who were teaching meditation in in the yoga tradition. So Mm
2: -hmm.
1: uh, through the Bihar School of Yoga, that lineage, which is more of a contemplative lineage. So that sort of became that journey which has informed like the last decade of of yoga uh, study, training and, and practice for me.
2: Yeah. Wow. Wow. So uh, there's about a million questions I want to ask in all that, but how did the alcohol look for you before you went into rehab? So when you said rehab, I was quite shocked because from what you'd said, it didn't sound like there was too much of like the alcohol was an issue, but was it daily drinking or
1: was it, how Mm. did the drinking look? It was, yeah, it it was for me, there were spurts of daily drinking, uh, but it wasn't ongoing daily drinking for a long period of time. It was more binge drinking. It was so I'd drink intensely for a few days uh, and then I'd stop for a but few days. for I,
2: a few days and then...
1: Yeah, then stopping, but the, yeah. I think the big problem for me though was I was on my own. So actually the last couple of months I had actually my sister lives up in the, the Hunter Valley, beautiful place up on... Um, on oh, Dale, which is, yeah, just outside of sort of the main Hunter Valley on the edge of these national parks and stunning. I ended up up there working for a rural contractor and I was driving tractors and fixing fences and, I thought I was having a rural renaissance. That was kind of in my head. That's what I thought I was doing—just having a bit of time in the country and just getting things sorted. And I've been, as I said, been working in the music and I in the film industry. Actually, I was working a lot in TV at that time as well. So going away and working on big productions. Again, you know, a job where people hand you a beer at the end of the day, and they push around the trolley, and, and they know your favorite drink order uh, offhand it was not a good place for me to be. And again, that was just not supportive of the lifestyle that I I actually wanted being a a parent and a family member, et cetera. So I ended up at my sister's place, but that was just me being on my own. And I got really sad. It really sad. I wasn't drinking. I mean, I was drinking way too much, but I'm sure there's a lot of people who drink a lot more than I was drinking then and wouldn't even think for a second that they had an alcohol problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it was, I think I'm very sensitive as I've, sort of reflected over the years that I'm I'm a bit of a delicate little pedal. That <laughs> when I'm good, I'm really good. I'm I'm robust. I'm I've got an amazing mind. I'm capable of doing things and dealing with emotional complexities. And I've got a lot of stamina, I can I can get a lot of things done. But there's I can't take that for granted. I need to look after myself. I need to eat really well. I need to sleep really well. I need to meditate every day. You know, for me a yoga practice is compulsory uh, and when I don't mm. do those things and, mm. and add alcohol and, and you know a bad diet into that as well which alcohol sort of somehow supports <laughs> a bad diet and smoking cigarettes and, and all the all the silly things my mental health took an absolute tumble I was really depressed I was thinking about suicide you know regularly not just a passing whim uh, so I had yeah, that was sort of where I'd got to, but there was also there was always this glimmer of hope too. I think it was I think two things for me got me sober. One was fear of actually shit. If I keep going in this direction, uh, it could get really bad. You know, I could actually end yeah. up doing something stupid. Mm-hmm. I could hurt myself. I could, yeah. I, could you know, I could take my own life. You know, do yes. self harm in a way that is uh, I can't get back from, or, or just get mm-hmm. so far away from things that who knows where it's going to end up. I just, I could see the path ahead and it was scary. It didn't look good. And, but there was also hope that I, if I turned things around, there was a glimmer of hope. I still had a nice relationship with my kids. Uh, I was still a member of a family. I still had my mental faculties and physically I was still fairly strong. So I felt that I could turn things around. And if I, if I made those choices, which, uh, yeah, it felt difficult and challenging and, and it was like stepping in a different direction and it involved a lot of trust uh, and it involved getting a lot of help and asking for support where I had been traditionally a bit of a lone wolf, I think, and just trying to figure things out on my own. Uh, it involved me becoming uh, much more humble and and, you know, being prepared to ask for help and then listen to the advice that was given to me.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I love what you said, being able to focus on the glimmers of hope. So, And I would say that for people that are listening to this podcast, and if you're feeling that you're just too far in it and there's no way out, mm. I would really recommend to just try and, you know, focus on the glimmers of hope, you know, and focus on on where there is that possibility for change mm. and, and head towards that rather than, you know, focusing at all on how this is too hard, I can't get out of this, you know. Yeah, focus on the possibility of change because it's always there. You know, there is always mm. a glimmer of hope in something, you know, and how you said that there was, you know, you knew you had a good relationship with your kids or there's always something that you can kind of anchor into, I guess.
1: Yeah, and I felt, I, mean, I think for me, I often reflected that, that relationship with my kids was probably the biggest one uh, and that I I wanted that to be, I wanted that relationship to succeed. And I hadn't. I'd had issues in my relationship, particularly with my own father. And I really wanted. I didn't want to be that guy. My dad drank too much, and he had issues with his mental health. And I didn't want to repeat that. And mm-hmm. I had also. Uh, and I also had people around me who didn't drink, and I, I had people who were who were shining lights. And I think that's why it's so important for you know a the work that you're doing and other people out there who are just sharing that message of actually it's possible. And it's not only, it's not, you're actually not trading in for um, uh something, you know, worse. You're actually getting something better. You, you'll, you'll have to hand in something. You'll have to hand something over and accept that. Okay. Maybe I can't do that one thing, but as it was explained to me once, it's like you get, it's Like you've got this huge pizza and, and you just want one little piece. But because you you've got this one or a pizza or a cake, whatever you're into, this this one little piece, uh, you're hanging on to that it means you're missing out on all the rest of it. But if you just give up, okay, I can't have that little piece, but that little if I give up that, I can have all the rest of it. So I've given up alcohol, but what that's actually meant for me is that I can have relationships I can run a business I can actually be a functional sustainable member of the community my kids adore me my ex-wife adores me she thinks I'm amazing you ask her I'll give you a number she thinks and and that that didn't come from nowhere you know there was a time in life where she hated me she couldn't stand me because I was a pain the like guy was and it wasn't she loved me I think she always loved me it was oh no I know she always loved me but when you see that disappointment when someone lets you down enough times it's it's really hard to come back from that but through this path that I've I've been on for the last however 10 years it's it's been it's healing for for not just for me but for her too to actually show that you know people can change and and that relationship that I have with her kids uh, you know it's it's inspiring for her because she knows that her kids are looked after and and that she knows that she was i think there was a time she was when are they going to have a dad when when they get a bit older and now they know that they 've got a dad who's she knows and they know that they 've got a dad who's really present for them uh because i 'm not just caught up in my own melodrama all the time or my own you know running from one party. To, to the next party I'm um, actually you know being a parent is actually a priority to me but I I have so much fun like I'm I'm living this incredible life which involves having a lot of fun and you know fun in a way that I didn't think was possible actually.
2: Yeah wow oh my god I love so much what you said about that like you know just taking out one slice gives you access to all the rest of the mm. you know the whole and just because you're taking out one slice, doesn't mean you're missing out on anything actually you're gaining this whole other thing
1: yeah life is so huge there is so much possibility and so much depth and complexity and so much satisfaction in the little things so yeah. much satisfaction of being present in a relationship and as in the yoga tradition it's so clearly stated like the ultimate sac- uh, the ultimate satisfaction is actually through service of actually being. Of service to to others, service to life. So rather than just caught, I mean, alcohol is is in many ways for a lot of people, particularly if you're if you're having a, a complex relationship with it, it's quite selfish. We're just caught in this little it makes our world really small. We're caught up in the loop of our own melodrama so uh, so often, you know, dealing with hangovers and just the just the simplicity of it, which is fine for a lot of people, but I think. There's a certain type of person that it just, it limits them. I, you know, I don't like to say generally alcohol is bad uh, because I mm-hmm. see a lot of people who drink and it doesn't seem to worry them or affect them. But I think it's important for people who, who are questioning that relationship with alcohol for whatever reason. Like you don't have to be a crazy alcoholic to want to give up drinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, that if you just feel like maybe life would be better without it, then yeah, I'm here to say it is. Like for me, it is. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of other people, like friends that uh, who you know, whatever realm, you know, whether that's yoga or, or music or whatever, who've who've explored life without alcohol. Uh, I remember going to um, festivals with John Butler and and hanging out with him a bit, and it was he didn't drink at that time, and or if he did, it was very very little. And seeing that, you know, him him in the in the back. Uh, in the green room, just sort of hanging out, you know, sipping on it. Everyone else is just on it, and he's mm. just. And I was like, "Wow!" And I'm, I'm I'm young at this point in time. I'm like, "Look, I saw that," and I was like, "Wow, that's a that's a different message." And just the way he was so present in in all the aspects of his life. As a family man, as a performer, as a musician, it's like he's not missing out on much. It doesn't look like he's missing out on much at all. You know, he's he's killing it. It's like absolutely it, it,
2: not. And and John is so, you know, like with everything he does, like you say, with his family, with his music, he's so he's laser focused, and mm. you can it, it obviously shows in his career and and how successful he's been. And same as in my husband wrote this book, Surf By Day, Jam By Night. I've talked about it a few times in the potty, but um, all these people that were at the top of their game in surfing and music, they hardly drank or most Mm. of them didn't drink at all because they were so focused. And I love what you said, that alcohol, when that's really become your life and when you're just going from one hangover to the next and just trying to get through each day and get through one hangover and then it's back to drinking again. And then it really minimizes life, doesn't it? It's so, Mm. it becomes so focused just in on that, Mm. that then we're missing out on. And that's what I was sort of realizing too, that I'm missing out on all this stuff because I'm, I can't get off this fucking treadmill, you know, I'm Mm. stuck on this thing and I wanted to experience life. I knew there was more out there. And I think you're right that for some people, you know, who know that there's more out than we want more. Sometimes we just feel stuck and we just feel like we can't mm. get off. But and it's like again, you know, that glimmers of hope. And also, what you said earlier that you wanted more for your life. You knew that there was that you wanted more, and so was that a focus for you as well? Just that where you wanted to be.
1: Yeah, for sure. Like my with my career, uh, I always knew. So I had taught yoga. When I was quite young, I'd got into it quite young and started teaching, and then I just kind of felt I wasn't ready, so i pulled away from it and gone off and done other things. I said, worked in music and, and film and uh, had a couple of businesses here and there, done all sorts of different things over that period of time and a lot of really cool, amazing, fun stuff. Um, but I knew that I would come back to yoga uh, one day, and I... In my heart of hearts, I knew, I felt anyway, but I also knew that it wasn't coherent with the lifestyle that I was living and I was going to need to make some big lifestyle changes to get there. And so that was a big one. I had felt like I had a sense of destiny in in that way of of, um, moving forward. (sighs) I needed to fulfill, we talk about yoga with dharma, uh, this highest resonance of, of our personality, of, of the best potential of, of what we can be. Uh, I, I had this sense of, of my dharma in, in a certain way and, and I knew that in my heart of hearts that I wasn't going to be able to keep drinking if I was going to fulfill that. And also I really loved surfing and it was getting in the way of that because when i drink, I'd smoke as well. That was a part of the, it was just a big mess. <laughs> yeah, but
2: same.
1: It was just crazy, and I hated smoking. That was—I thought that was the problem. I actually thought that smoking was my big problem. I thought if I could quit smoking for years, I'll quit smoking. I'll be right. I'll, I'll you know, I won't drink so much. But I, what I realized every time I drank, I just wanted to smoke. I didn't give a fuck about anything. I would just like, oh well, whatever. You know, like yeah. smoking, yum, yeah. and uh, I'm into it. And so that would, and then that residue of, of smoking would hang around and. So there was this creatively I have always been really passionate about writing and and just that nuance of being able to experience the subtle nature of things. Like that for me was a big part of it, just being able to be fully present and experience all the feelings. You know, alcohol numbs things and I, I wanted to feel. I originally came to alcohol And and, and I loved what I loved about it was it it opened up this world of feeling and experiencing and it was an adventure, but that stopped and it just became really boring. And it's like I, I I wasn't experiencing anything new through through alcohol. It was just the same old, same old, same old. And in fact, it was going rapidly the opposite direction. I was the world was just getting smaller and smaller and smaller till, you know, ultimately it was just me spending Lots of time on my own. Uh, well, back when I drank, it was box sets of DVDs. Nowadays, it's it's Netflix binges. But it, uh, I would just you know spent a lot of time hanging out on when I had time on my own, just watching box sets of DVDs. You know, drinking quietly. It was pretty sad. It was there wasn't a yeah. It wasn't the rock and roll lifestyle that I'd been hoping for in my life. And I'm really happy to say that the the last ten years has been. Uh yeah, I wouldn't say completely the opposite. There's been still been time on my own, but it's different. You know, I've had a lot of adventure, a lot of travel, traveled you know, all over the world. And and but it's it's not just about doing all the cool things. It's actually I've done a lot of cool things, but it's just being satisfied with the simplicity of things and actually just accepting, like mm-hmm. that's a big part of it, just accepting normality of life and and being really deeply accepting of who I am. Uh, and not uh, my my emotional well-being is generally fairly good you know I talk about just feeling being right-sized you know I have my I, I had this issue with self-esteem like I I didn't think that I was good enough or I'd flip to thinking that I was just absolutely fantastic and this I talk about yoga and, and meditation being the, the evolution of the personality even that we're through this work, we're just cultivating our personality and just evolving into this deep acceptance of, of who we are, who we actually are, and, and through this journey of self-knowledge coming to know deeply who we are, we can become the best version of us.
2: So well said. <laughs> That's just so well said. I think that getting to know yourself, is one of the the greatest things that sobriety gives us, right? Mm. You know, that deep connection, the connection back to ourselves and that healing that comes from that Mm. is, you know, because with alcohol we're just shutting off from those feelings, even though we think we're feeling, I totally relate to that, but we're so disconnected from ourselves and our true authenticity, you know, yeah, just everything about us just becomes disconnected. Um. Yeah. yeah, I think this is one of the greatest journeys that you can to be on is and is to connect back to
1: yourself oh, it's the ultimate adventure
2: yes. yeah it's
1: just so who, who am I and, and 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 realizing that that journey of self-love it's 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 incredible yes and just getting to know ourselves and, and seeing ourselves reflected in other people I think that's where you really it's great to go away and, and meditate and spend time on your own but how we really get to know each, know ourselves is when we step into community, step into relationship and, and show up and, and actually be present and of service to other people and, and seeing our motives. And this is the, the, the journey of self-wisdom, the journey of what we call karma yoga or mindfulness, whatever you label, we, we, we give it, it's, it's self-knowledge. Like how, how am I, as I relate to my partner, yeah. And what are, and, and, and the world, how do I show up in the world and what are my motivations and, and how can I help? How yeah. can I make this world a better place? The world needs, it needs us. It really does. It needs us, mm-hmm. not just a little bit of us occasionally, it needs us to really show up and, and be fully present and to give, not to the point of being martyrs, but it needs us to be joyful. The world, I think, needs us to to show up in the the way we can. You know, the, the love has a life has a a way of actually just shining shining through us.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And that's what becomes more apparent too on this journey is that there is more joy, even though you think there'll be no joy when you drink when you're really in the grips of alcohol. I did a post about this the other day, and you know, such a response, but. Mm. You think you're never going to have fun again. You think you'll never feel joy Mm. again. But the joy that you experience, the real joy that comes, I guess, from loving yourself enough to experience joy from all sorts of things rather than just from alcohol and experiencing life to its fullest, you know, what it's got to offer. um, Mm. It's just such a game changer. But the love, like the love of yourself and the people that you really truly connect with. Is so beautiful. <laughs> and I'm just so glad to be.
1: It's part the sweetest of that. thing. It's the sweetest thing. Mm. This just sort of tapping back to one thing you just said before at people who are really are in that experience of feeling desolate and, and you know disconnected and maybe lacking a bit of hope that yeah. if you've stopped using alcohol for whatever reason and you are in that process of of trying to figure out what life looks like. For you without alcohol, that I mean, getting help is is just so fundamental. I think it's almost impossible. Certainly was for me to do it up, figure it out on my own. And and thankfully, there is so much good help out there. Uh, you're not having to walk the path on your own. But one of the things I, you know, I'm obviously an advocate for yoga. Uh, and as I said at the beginning of the podcast, it's not about doing heaps and heaps and heaps of hardcore physical yoga, uh, but you can change your biochemistry, and we carry trauma a lot of the drinking that certainly i did was because i was unprepared and unable to deal with trauma which was in me and i didn't know it was there yeah. uh, through this practice of yoga i've i've yeah. learned to relax so deeply and actually just again come into a space where i can unpack the stuff whatever it is that that has caused me anxiety and and deal with it you know in a productive way so it stops repeating uh, and learning how to relax fully and we're just working at the cellular level and the practices are amazing, whether that is are doing sort of physical practice or the breath work, which I'm so fond of, and uh, the meditation practices, particularly yoga nidra, has such a, a wonderful effect. Uh, yes, on, I love yoga nidra. Oh, it's my it's heaven. yummy. <laughs> you know, it is so yummy. It's a love affair and it's, it's not just a nice thing. It's actually reformatting us at a cellular level. So it's, uh, and and that's not just something that, you know, yogis have, have made up and it's, it's, there's a lot of really solid phys- uh, evidence to scientific evidence, which really shows how it's working. Uh, it's, it's incredible and and it's so accessible. So these practices are not inaccessible to people. You don't need any sort of huge level of physical fitness, but it's, I think for people who are going to stop drinking, Successfully and actually going to maintain not only uh, not drinking but actually becoming joyful and and it's it's one thing to stop drinking it's a, it's a whole other thing to step into that fullness of of who you are stopping drinking for most people is just the first thing and you need to get that support and and the, these practices for me anyway they were just so supportive I, I saw a lot of other people who stopped drinking around the same time. As, as I did uh, and saw a lot of people who, who, through, you know, different fellowships have not drunk for a long period of time. And I have witnessed time and time again, it's it's the people who have some sort of meditative practice. They're the ones that are successful over time. And by success, I'm, I'm, I'm equating that with contentment, people who are, who are in their life and who are just good with it, whatever's happening, you know, dealing with the ups and the downs and actually able to, Uh, yeah, come to that with a sense of acceptance and harmony.
2: Mm, Absolutely. Because I think having that mindfulness practice, whether it's with the breath work or with yoga or meditation, uh, this is for people listening, is that you're able to then recognise your own thoughts and and rather than engaging Mm. with them, you're able to witness them and not having to engage with them, but just you can look at them with curiosity. That's the first step. Mm, But then also like you say, on a cellular level, when like so when I meditate in the morning, I always notice areas of tension in my body and so being able to, or I can feel perhaps throughout the day, uh, particularly if I meditated around 2 o'clock, I can feel that I'm quite almost pulsing inside, like this energy is quite high and so I need to slow my nervous system down because I'm quite Mm. an on person Mm. and it's so beautiful in that I can rather than just be on, on, go, 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 which I guess The the antidote for that for me used to be to drink, right? That was my way Mm. to slow down. But now I can go with my breath, go inward, really feel what's happening in my body and ask it to just slow down and to just be with it, recognize it, and then just gently ask it to slow down. And I can instantly just, that's better, Mm. you know, and to recognize that in ourselves. And that's what I love about the practice the most then you do, like you, say, you said earlier, you start to notice the little subtleties in life and you become more in tune with everything around you too, not just what's going on inside yourself, but, mm. yeah, what's going on externally as well. You're just more in tune and, you know, it takes a while, well, hey, like it's it not does. like an overnight
1: thing. No, it's a journey of lifetimes <laughs> that uh give up the rush. And if you're you also just coming to the practice with, a level of self-compassion. Uh, it's it, If you're looking toward living a life alcohol-free, it's not easy. And and for most people, it often means stopping drinking and starting drinking again, exploring it from both sides. Uh, and if you stopped drinking for a while and you've started again, and you're thinking about starting, stopping again, there's, there can be shame involved. And I think letting go of that shame and the remorse that's a Mm -hmm. huge part of it too and just but tapping more and more into that resonance of of who you are and it's not some external being that we're trying to create or become it's that highest aspect of
0: Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com.
1: Of who we are, uh, which is actually true. There's Nobody is a complete dick. And <laughs> the, the shame that comes with, with alcoholism, we can think that sometimes. Like, I'm just a waste of space. And mm. that's never true. That's never true. Every yeah. human has a... Has love in them every human has a, a glimmer of divinity and our job is to find that glimmer of divinity and and shine the light there and, and make that that's going to be the candle that's going to lead us out of the darkness uh and yeah. that people through and people get it like it's i get it i see people who you know are in the just the deep deep doldrums of, of alcohol abuse and and just that, I said, I get it. I really feel for you. You know, I really, I know. And it's not me looking at like looking down on you. It's like, I get it. Like I've been there, man. I I know it's, it's hard and it's sad and it's, it's difficult, but it's possible. It is possible. I'm here to say that it's possible and it's worth it. Like if if alcohol is is a problem in your life and and you're dreaming about some other reality, then I'm I'm here to say that 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 reality is good and it's possible and you don't need to invent rocket science to to actually stop drinking. And and from what I see in the world, more and more, uh, I don't know if it's just the world that I'm in, but it, it seems to me that there's a lot of really strong, clear voices that are shining light on on how to how to live a really happy life without alcohol and cool people. Like it's not as though you're going to be doing it on your own, and you don't have to. People, you know, oh, I don't want to join AA. You don't have to join AA. You know, there's other ways to do it. I mean, AA is wonderful. I'm a, I'm a huge fan, but it's not the be all and end all for everything. But mm-hmm. I think for most people, it the the, the the one the consistent message that I would I would share is that. It, uh, it, it is something that we need to do together. And I, I think addiction takes us away from people. And, and if we want to get well, we need to open our hearts and, and we need to connect
0: mm-hmm. with,
1: with others and, and, and trust. Part of connecting is actually trusting other people to be able to help us because I think the world wants to help. If, if we open ourselves to that, the world wants to help. That's certainly yeah. been my experience. Absolutely, I I think when I become available,
2: yeah, people love people when people ask for help and they show their vulnerability. Most people want to put their hand out and say, "Absolutely, you know, I'm I'm here for you and I can hold you and help you through Mm. this." Absolutely, Yeah. yeah. And there is, and that's one of the reasons I have this podcast is to show that there is always that possibility. There's always a possibility for change, and you know, there's a possibility in everyone. To change, and um, one thing Gabor says is that um, there's a there's a part of you that loves you enough to get you here today. There's a part of you that loves you enough to tune into this podcast or to join an AA group, or mm. you know, it's it's not all lost, and that's also a glimmer of hope there and a, a and a possibility. You know, that there is a part of us that loves us enough to want us to be well and to want us to connect, and that's the part yeah. we want to focus on and and work with is that that part of us that's that is love.
1: Mm, honoring that part and, yeah. and and connecting to that part. I often look at it like a it's a little flame in a fire. You know, you've you've mm. you've got a fire that's been diminished, but the, the as long as you're alive, there is a there is a, a glimmer of hope. And that by <laughs> coming in blowing some Air onto that that little coal, that little glimmer. You can rekindle the fire and 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 build that fire. Uh, and just often, it's just a question of actually not messing it up. I, I often reflected back on my journey as as the growing of a garden. What what I would do is I'd create really cool things in my life. I would make things, start businesses. Set myself up in a way that was like, wow, something's really happening here, and then I just eff it up. Like I'd hit the, I just hit the button, just destroy the relationship, destroy whatever it was, and it's this self sabotage because I wasn't confident enough to step up into that version of myself. I, I see that now, but what I had to do, and the, the journey over the last decade has been. I mean, yes, I've been asked to do things, and yes, I've. It's this journey of of stepping up and just doing that little bit at a time, but also not hitting the fuck it button and not just destroying things. And and for me, when when I started to drink, that was my way. I just check out, and and whatever had been happening to that point could until that point could just sort of go by the by. I was like, ah, oh, yeah, whatever. I'll do something else, and and. So I don't do that self sabotage, and as a result, there's been this journey of of things evolving naturally in their own time. Like the garden has just grown in its own way, and I just have to pick the weeds it when when, when they pop up. Make sure the garden gets watered and fed, which is you know just the the basic self care, and um, keeping the keeping my life as tidy as possible. I think being accountable is a big part of it for me, and making amends when i when i step out of line and i you know i still say things i'm in a relationship which is is with my, with my partner it's and you know i'm i'm a bit bullheaded and and selfish and uh, but then i apologize and, she, and it's amazing because she does the same thing like we make mistakes and and we you know do whatever and, and which doesn't feel right but then very shortly afterwards there's there's an apology usually from both of us Going, you know, oh okay and that's that's transformative stuff. Apologies are powerful. Apologies are really powerful stuff that can, it just helps to disarm. I'm sorry. You know, I could have done better That not apologizing and saying, oh, you've, you've done this. And, you know, it's actually, I'm not even going to focus on what you're doing. My, my, my journey is just dealing with me and I'm sorry for my part in that, even though it probably wasn't all me, my focus is on just what my part of it was. And I'm sorry for that, and in the future I, you know, I'm going to try and make it better in this way. And, and that's, that just gives other people the permission ultimately to do the same.
2: Oh, absolutely. And uh, the, you're so right, and I think uh, I guess it's one of the AA steps too, I guess, in a way, is that making amends of, of going mm-hmm. back into your past and, and clearing that wreckage. Um, an apology c- does go a long way, and sometimes we feel this sort of like ooh, or this tightening, of, I don't want to go there. If the, you know, mm. if you have to apologize because it seems so scary and there's so much shame sometimes around we feel shame when we've done what we we, we perceive as being the wrong thing. Mm. And when we feel that shame, I mean, it's, it's awful to feel shame. No one wants to feel shame. If you can push through that, it's like I say, it's so freeing. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's it's usually taking up more space in our in in our mind than the other people. If oh, we're ruminating yeah. on something that we shouldn't have said or shouldn't have done, it's usually taking up more space for us. Everyone's always just thinking about themselves. <laughs> Human beings are, are just caught up in 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 their own in their own little world, and it, it just helps to unpack. I remember when I first came into recovery, I just felt like I had this huge, I spoke about dragging along a suitcase of all my regrets and, and all my unfinished business that I needed to deal with. And, and those first few years of recovery were definitely about sorting out. I mean, that was back tax. It was dealing with the tax department. It was, you know, fixing up old relationships. It was making amends to my parents and and being present in the family. So there was a lot of, but People don't want to hear you saying sorry all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't want to hear about me talking about what was going on ten years ago. But they are very interested, and in, I think in the, you know living momentarily now of actually, like if I'm if I'm making a mistake or I'm out of line, just mm-hmm. owning that and 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 being. Uh, I mean, no one loves a holier than thou yogi. <laughs> <That's>, uh, <laughs> I don't want to be that guy. It's certainly that's definitely definitely not where I am.
2: Yeah, absolutely. There's something so good too. I I just think in saying sorry, if you can get past that shame, and as you say, even in the day to day, that you know we're in relationships, we're always fucking up. You know, even mm-hmm. as a parent, like even saying to the kids sometimes, sorry, you know, actually and actually apologising, you know, if I did lose my temper or and mending that relationship, to mending yeah. that little bit of rupture in your relationship or with children or with any part of your life, I guess. It yeah, actually yeah. feels really good once you get through that. I don't want to, <laughs> but then you do mm-hmm. say sorry and it feels so
1: good. And with your kids, you're role modelling. Like yeah. you're, if you're, you're saying sorry to them, being accountable, there's certainly when I grew up, there was this huge division between parents and kids and it was, wasn't very often that my parents apologised toward me that I can recall, but I've done it with my kids consistently and then they do it and they role model and it's yep. it's changed the dynamic of our family, I think a big part, you know, is not passing trauma down the family line that I inherited trauma from whatever reason down my family line. And, and through this work, I'm doing my best anyway. I'm definitely, I'm no candidate for sainthood, but I am doing my best not to pass it on to my kids. And it's interesting seeing their relationship with alcohol and that it's so different. You know, they've obviously. I've got a daughter, one who's twenty and one who's nineteen. So wow, uh, really? So tw- tw- twenty two and nineteen. I got off to a, a, an early start, mm-hmm. and uh, that through them, you know, they're so they're exploring alcohol at the moment over the last few years, and and seeing their experiences, which you know, if you remember that age, they they can get pretty messy. Uh, but they make the mistakes, and then there's a step away from it and it's I, I don't see I, I see a lot more wisdom asserted mm-hmm. around alcohol uh, from them than certainly uh, that I, I was part of it at, at the similar age and that's that's mm-hmm. inspiring that's really inspiring to see mm-hmm. you know it's the evolution of the species ultimately mm-hmm. as I often say that to my kids it's like you are the you're the evolution of the species that you're you which is awesome you just you know, they're carrying forward into the future, hopefully paving a, a a better world for everybody.
2: Yeah, I think kids these a lot of kids now. Hopefully, they're becoming less peer peer oriented and more oriented towards the the parents because they're feeling a closer connection. Not like back in the day where kids should be you know, mm. seen and not heard, and there was no real strong connection, I guess, to the parents. Now it's changing, although iPhones and such, maybe not. Mm. but hope hopefully kids are feeling more oriented towards their parents and feeling that that anchor is coming from their parents rather than you know peers sometimes. like that's a whole other subject, I suppose, but
1: yeah, it's all it's all related, yeah. I think, being because yeah. you if you want to have that relationship with your kids, then alcohol is is creates a gulf. The parents are coming home and and, and drinking every night it creates an emotional gulf that they're they're on a different vibration. I was at a a New Year's Eve party, uh, a big family one in Sydney last New Year's Eve. And I was there, my youngest daughter didn't drink. And one of my nephews didn't, I think there were three of us not drinking. Everyone else was on it, and it was like you know. By nine o'clock, it was just us, and we were having this lovely conversation. Everyone else has just done it just a completely different wavelength, right? And yeah. uh, and then the next and the next day, New Year's Day, we had this. My again it was my my youngest daughter, uh, and my nephew who's about sixteen. We went off fishing and to, to the day, and we went sort of all these explore all these little cool little beaches, and we had this amazing day. Meanwhile, everybody else was asleep, and you know we get home at two o'clock or whatever in the afternoon and everyone's just starting to become coherent and it's like we are literally just having a, a totally different experience of, of the last 24 hours and that's a choice you know that's a choice and and I, I'm, I'm happy with just sometimes I, I did, did I, news even oh I'm a bit boring because I needed to go to bed probably a little bit earlier than than what was cool but uh, it's lovely. I've never regretted waking up in the morning and not having a hangover, I'll tell you that much.
2: <laughs> Same. Oh, my God, never, <laughs> ever do I regret not drinking. I tell you what, that, you know, that's for sure. Oh, my God, I, I seriously, I could talk to you probably for about five days straight. <laughs> There's so many things I want to ask you, but I'm I'm aware of the time and kid pickup and all the rest of it. But quickly, I wanted to ask you, in early days of sobriety for you, how would you deal with the with the cravings that would come up or, if there was something if there was an uncomfortable that you didn't want to sit with, how did you deal with with those those feelings? I got, and I got a you... lot of help.
1: I got a lot of help. I was really uh I was very rarely alone for long periods of time. As I said, I went to rehab and that was really useful uh in my how early... long,
2: sorry, how long were you in rehab for? Uh
1: that was a 28-day rehab program. Okay, yeah. So when you came four out. Weeks. Uh, I had I was going to AA meetings. I had friends around me. I surfed a lot. I was mm. I was actually I was I went back to Sydney. I was uh, in the Northern Beaches of Sydney, which is sort of where I was originally from. I surfed so much. I think I had like I surfed every day for you know six months, which was amazing. Mm. It was really good. It was and I was doing a lot of yoga and just getting back into my body and just really feeling and just getting and you know, it, surfing more inspired me to to practice more yoga and get really fit. So that was, I had this physical transformation. I got quite fit, and but I was talking to a lot. So I, I got a therapist at that time. I had, was seeing a psychologist uh, went and I was going to AA meetings. I had a, a few friends I'd met through there and I was talking to them. I was connected. I made a real point of connect, getting connected. I remember this psychologist I was seeing, he, he gave me a, some homework uh, one day. I said, look, I want you to, you know, because I went into this, Session and, and I was just talking to him about all my problems and he goes, I want you to call three people this week, and I want you to ask them how they're going. And I'm like, oh, and I remember leaving. I said, I can't believe I just paid you know whatever it was, 150 bucks to to hear that. That's just silly business. But I thought, all right, well I've paid the money, I'll I'll do it. And so I did that. I remember calling people randomly just hey how are you going what's going on and you're not talking about me and my story and, and what you know how how anxious and mm. and, and messy i was it was like, how are you going and all of a sudden i wasn't thinking about me anymore
2: yes that's a ripper that one that's awesome
1: free advice mm. yeah i paid 150 bucks for that you can have it free <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> there you go, but it, it was in, it was just the simplest of things because it, it what it i mean as i said before is uh um so it's it's Gabor Mate you said I thought it was Gabrielle Gabor. Gabor Mate. Is it the opposite of addiction is connection? So if you want to,
2: that's step actually Johan Hari who said that.
1: Oh, is it okay? It was always attributed to Gabor to Mate.
2: Gabor, no, yeah. uh, Johan Hari did the TED talk
1: on it. Okay, it's true. Yeah. You know, it's it's a yeah. universal truth. Yeah, and uh, I'm saying it. You can quote me on it. The Buddha said it. <laughs> The, the buddha everything everything gets contributed to the buddha but, um, i'm sure the buddha said it and it's just so true if you want to transcend your addiction and you need to be connected and you need to find a community and they, mm-hmm. they talk about actually, the buddha did actually say you know there's three parts to it to a spiritual journey one of one of which is that you need to have a teacher so you need to have somebody who's done what you're doing and with that's Giving up alcohol, you need to find somebody who's done it and has done it successfully. And it can show you the things that you need to do. Or if you're you want to become a yogi or a meditator, then you need someone who's going to show you the techniques. Uh, you need to have you need to have a technique. So you need to have some sort of system uh, that you apply, whether that's a, a yoga practice, a meditation practice, or maybe, you know, if it's 12-step recovery, whatever it is. And then you need to have a community, you need to have the Sangha. You need to have the people around you. These are the three pillars of of spiritual life. And and that I think a journey of giving up alcohol is a spiritual. It has to be a spiritual life. That is the answer, is to connect to spirit. And that so having those, those three things, you know, find some friends. And whether that is connecting through a Facebook group, or mm-hmm. you know, through th- through listening to a pod. There are so many wonderful ways to do it. There's people out there. We're, we're a really connected world, for better or for worse. So there's so many ways to to find people who are doing the same thing as, as, as you are.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I love that. So it's like finding a mentor, finding someone that's been there, done that, mm. having a really good action. Like a, I guess it's an action plan or a plan yeah. of, yeah, or a system and um, and the, yeah, the spirituality. I think they're all absolutely, yes, tick, tick, tick to all of those. Mm. I absolutely 100% agree. And even with the spirituality stuff, for some people that might feel a little daunting at first, but that can come in. Mm. It, like for me, it was like everyone knows, like listening to Wayne Dyer flat out. That's all I did. Twenty-four-seven was listened to Wayne Dyer, and still do to this day. Like I listen to Wayne, he's just like my spiritual father. I love him so much, and that then branched me out into other things. You know that Mm. I listen to now. I'm reading the Bhagavad Gita. Oh, Um, beautiful. And I absolutely love, I absolutely love it. I love it so much, and I'm just slowly taking it in, taking notes.
1: Amazing. I've, um, I've got, I've got something to share with you. Actually, it was you told, it with Wayne Dyer? Mine was Ramdas, oh, who's a dust, very yeah. well well known teacher who passed a few years ago. But yeah. Ramdas had gave a beautiful course on called the Yoga of the Bhagavad Gita, and it ah. was delivered. Uh, in I think the 70s and there's a a, it's a 12 part course it's like 12 one hour lectures on different aspects of the Bhagavad Gita and I listened to that and I listened to that and I listened to that and I listened Mm. to that and so many times and just that resume in the Bhagavad Gita has just such a a unique powerful poetic message Mm -hmm that but i'll, I'll share this uh, audio recording with you. you can actually find it on the internet if anyone's looking it's it's quite old but if you're interested in in understanding deeply the message of the gita uh reading it as one thing but the commentary around it and tapping into the essence ramdas had a has an incredible take on it
2: oh wow i'd love if you could share that that would be i'd love that mm-hmm. and i'd love to put it in the show notes for anyone that might be interested sure. in in hearing in yeah and delving more into that um, yeah, that would be amazing um, and also if anyone's wanting to connect with you um, what's your website address and your insta handle
1: uh, so i have a yoga studio in byron bay uh, most of my public life is wrapped up in in that for better or for worse and uh, that's bamboo yoga byron bamboo yoga uh, so if you just search Bamboo yoga you'll find us I teach yoga there fairly regularly I run meditation courses uh, which you know is, is, is more of sort of where my my focus is and talking about this stuff like this is just fits so beautifully into the tapestry of mm-hmm. of meditation and uh, self-knowledge self-awareness and I run there's a weekly if you' interested ever in byron I do a yoga nidra practice every Wednesday 1pm, uh, which is free. So you can just turn up and lie down and
2: You're kidding, I'm fairly, right?
1: that's, yeah, wow. uh, that's in Byron every, every Wednesday. Uh, so if you go to the Bamboo Yoga Byron website, you can find me personally, Mark Purser uh, on Instagram or Bamboo Yoga Byron uh, on Instagram as well.
2: Yeah. Can I ask a question? <laughs> is the Byron, you know, Byron Bay Yoga Studio, is it just like all beautiful people? Or is there <laughs> mm, well, beautiful out on the outside?
1: Yeah. So uh, this isn't you, you haven't you're not going to share the video of this, are you? So you can share some <laughs> photos of me in, in, my, in my tights, my shirt off. Uh, yogis are yogis are beautiful. I look, at our, our yoga studio is definitely. Uh, I mean our yogis are beautiful they really are but they're probably not as sexually dressed as a lot of other yoga studios we're very pretty gritty down to earth uh, I encourage that you know I try to make it permissible yoga is for everybody and look my lineage of of training through the such under tradition was it was an ashram based tradition you know people were wearing gowns and and there was very little in the way of cultivating the ego unfortunately uh, yoga's got a bit of a bad rap in that way uh and it's it's probably deserved it in some instances but there is deep goodness in 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 the, the yoga lineage and there is deep wisdom and the surface level that is so often seen because they're the ones getting the attention because they' you know they the uh, posting on Instagram every 25 seconds that there are the, the, there's a lot of really amazing yogis and yoga teachers who don't have Instagram or Facebook or don't have any social media connection and the only way you find them is to go looking for them. Uh, I'm trying to sort of be halfway in the middle of we do use social media, but it's, yeah, trying to make it permissive and available and accessible and my my mission is very much about that, and and sharing this the contemplative tradition of yoga. Yoga is not an asana focused tradition. Yoga, the asana mm. part, the, the the physical practice, the poses, the, the poses mm. for the poseurs is is it's actually quite new. It's a it's a new it's good. I think having a, a physical practice element to yoga is is wonderful and it's useful in a lot of a lot of instances. But it's only a very small piece of the pie. And the yoga in in the bigger perspective and through the through the lineage of tradition it's about self-knowledge it's there's and most of the teachings of yoga are around pranayama around meditation
2: and And, i think that's a big misconception too that a lot of people think that yoga like i've had so many people that that i work with that i coach and I, i try and encourage them to get into a yoga practice and a lot of them will be like Oh, God, no, like, and they completely mm. don't want to go because they feel like they should be a size six, um, mm. you know, Insta model looking type person, and it's all about the poses. And, it, like, no, that's only a very small component of yoga is actually, like you say, it's about the poses, but there's so much more. It's, yeah, more about the connection with self, and mm. the mind. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. Yeah.
1: Look, and my overall perspective of actually the, the yoga studios in Byron Bay, is that when you walk in the door, most of them are pretty cool, yeah, uh, and e- even even the vinyasa focused studios, which can look a bit more glitzy. I know a bunch of those teachers who are who are working there, and they're pretty cool humans. They're, I mean, look, what people project on social media and what you get when you when you're there with them in person, often two very very different things. And more and more, I'm seeing this, the rising up of the wisdom of actually the the what is really supposed to be uh the core of the tradition is is this path of self knowledge and it's a bit harder to commercialize it i think that's why it hasn't been so popular a lot of the time uh, True, but yes. it's it's there and it's and it's really strong and it's the great thing you know for you as a practitioner for me as a practitioner for anybody once you learn the practices you, you they're yours and, you don't need to go to a class all the time, and you don't need to be there in a busy studio. You can take these practices and, and use them for free. I've, I've actually got a lot of my meditation practices are on the Insight Timer app, uh, which oh, are you're free. an Insight Timer, yeah, oh, yeah. Cool. Me, me and about a million other people, so there's there's no yeah. lack of choice. Uh, yeah. But it is nice to connect with the teacher who you know. And I, I use Insight Timer. There's a couple of teachers who I know yeah, who me too. keep their practices on there. And uh, it's it's a really great resource. So there's lots of cool stuff out there. But it's also, it's, look, in this digital world, it's so easy to connect with teachers and teachings and, and content. But it is also still, I think, really wonderful to, to get into a room with people and actually be in a room, particularly after the last couple of years of being mm. so separated, to actually just be in a room of people sharing practice together. Yeah. Uh, that is a beautiful thing.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I tend to do my yoga practice at home now that Lissy and Shane Turner, who I'd usually practice with mm. at the yoga shack, they've moved. It's like, oh yeah, look, and I do, and I have been a little shy, I must say, to go out and venture out into other yoga studios. And I guess too, sometimes when we're worried about beautiful people and all the rest of it, that's a reflection of where we're at also mm. in ourselves sometimes. So yep. I guess it could be worth even sitting with that and, and just inquiring curiously into that a little bit I, yeah. I don't feel so much like that myself anymore maybe a little but I, I know that definitely comes up with people that i work with and that i coach but I think- yeah
1: definitely and look if you go into a busy yoga class and, and you're not feeling great in your body or your mind it can be a bit intimidating if you're going to a vinyasa class and all power yoga and these people are so fit and flexible it's like oh my god you know i feel like an yeah. idiot and it's but uh i mean even as a teacher i look at some of my students sometimes oh, they can all do it better than i can and, and that's cool. Like it's, it's, it's fine. It's not about me being better than that, but it, it definitely sometimes triggers me. I'm like, oh, my goodness. So, but I'm, I mean, you can't see me, but I'm, I'm a, like a stocky ex-football player. I'm not your, your, your typical, uh, you know, thin life yoga body. So, mm-hmm. uh, but again, yoga, as I said before, it's the evolution of the personality. I just need to be the best version of, of who I'm supposed to be. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, Just quick, sorry, uh, I keep saying I'm finishing up, but I'm asking another question. But also, or this is more of just a a comment, I suppose, but um, Bessel van der Kolk wrote a book called The Body Keeps the Score. I don't know if you've read it, but it's about trauma and, Mm and how that stores in the body. But he talks at length about yoga, using yoga and specific trauma for trauma and
1: the specific
2: yep. yoga poses, and for trauma, do you yep. ever do that within your classes?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Oh, so, wow. so what, uh, Bessel van der Kolk was a, a, a one of the early advocates of polyvagal theory, you know, uh, exploring this field of polyvagal theory, and it is uh, a huge part. I mean, particularly our teacher training work that we do, we we take a deep dive into polyvagal theory and. Mm it doesn't actually change the way we practice it at all, really, because ultimately what polyvagal theory has just shown uh, is just actually how on point these yogis are. And if particularly if you're doing yoga in in a particular way, and I think what they're pointing to is it's this deep activation of the the vagus nerve. So staying in a parasympathetic nervous experience, don't get for the fully amped yoga practice. It's fun and it can be really nice, but it's not going to, get you into that point that you're actually beginning to transform trauma. So, I mean, you are quite literally through, if you can develop a a deep relaxation experience in the physical body and and through that, through a deep relaxation uh, experience in your nervous system and your mind, you are literally rewriting your DNA. I mean that—that that is what's going on, and mm-hmm. you are creating new sense inputs, and you are re- redefining who you are. It's—it's it's incredibly powerful stuff, and this, the yogis yeah. have known this for millennia. And uh, mm-hmm. and the it, the current science—it's incredible. It, it, they're really just showing more and more. And I, f- I find it fascinating. I'm a, I'm a total nerd for that stuff. Yeah. Uh, and but it hasn't, as I said, it doesn't change how I practice or teach because it's just what I was taught to do through the lineage. Mm-hmm. That I've been trained in, which is not so much about the the power of vinyasa yoga anyway. I mean, I've done that in the past, but most of my yoga, my yoga often looks like an afternoon nap.
2: <laughs> I love that. Well, you know, my yoga, I, I like, I do a lot of online yoga through Yoga Glow, but in the morning, mm-hmm. part of my morning practice when I'm doing my journaling, I just have to anyway because I'm a bit stiff. But I just get up in the morning and do um, like some cat cow, mm-hmm. and then some uh, like downward dog. Um, it's a bit of child's pose, and maybe I'll do some sun salutations if I'm, you know, starting to feel, oh, no, I'm going to keep going. But even just that small practice every day. I remember my very first yoga teacher, um, down in torquay she said even if you do one yoga pose a day, mm. that's great. You know, if that's all you can manage for the day, even if it's just one downward dog or, you know, Absolutely. anything. Yeah, just one. And, and, well.
1: and that's not just a throwaway. That's actually really true. You know, yeah. there's a lot of merit in that. And that just the, if you can do, it's the things that you do consistently over a long period of time that are going to make all the difference. It's much better to do that than go away to a, a week-long yoga retreat where you're practicing 10 hours a day and then you just go back to your life of debauchery. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you could just use those little moments of, of practice and it can just be one mindful breath it doesn't even have to be a pose it can just be literally close the eyes and just take a mindful breath and and get that little moment of reset and if you can if it's if we make it easy for ourselves we're more likely to do it more often uh there's actually a a a lot of uh, there's a guy andrew huberman who is a a neuroscientist from stanford university who's huge on the social media they've been doing a lot of really cool research into uh the effects of of different practices and he's really big on breath work and really big on on yoga nidra and uh he talks about this breath practice which i've been doing recently it's just called sip sip sigh and actually uh and it's basically just take a sip of breath let's do it now yeah take a sip of breath take another sip of breath and then open your mouth Uh, and that was so much fun we'll do it again sip sip Mm -hmm. sigh so big sip of breath another sip of breath open the mouth Uh, Uh, and that is shown to be the the quickest way that you can reset your nervous system and just shortcut to a parasympathetic nervous experience it's it really is that easy
2: oh that was so good sip sip sigh
1: sip sip sigh yeah
2: i love that how's that people i hope you did that with us because that was absolutely beautiful if not rewind and and do it that's fantastic oh my god mark Persa, you are incredible so much wisdom and i for one am very excited that i'm signing up for your teach training course for meditation and breath work in october october yeah, yes. I'm so pumped to do that. I'm really excited to jump on board and and learn from you and
1: it's a great journey. I mean, ultimately I can show you a bunch of different techniques and and we can get nerdy around different aspects of philosophy, but the ultimate practice that happens is just is when you connect to your own practice and and moving through uh a journey like that with a group of people, it's, it's, it's powerful stuff. It really is cool. And just meeting the people we meet through the journey together. And it just probably not stuff that we would be doing if we were drinking. And that's uh, well, if we do, if we were doing it, it would be a very different experience.
2: Absolutely. And that's part of that. Isn't that living the rest of the, the rest of the pizza, (laughs) you know, Mm, like really absolutely all these other things. And for sure, there's no way in a million years I would have signed up for meditation and breathwork teacher training, <laughs> you know, five, six years ago. But, or maybe I would have, but I might have turned up pissed.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Just ask yeah. Lucy Turner. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I, I actually, I went to a uh, Vipassana retreat many years ago, probably 15 years ago, which was a, a week line. And I saw one of my friends there who also had a problem with um, substance abuse. And we are literally there and i'm having a cigarette on the way there and i'm like he passed him he's in the car he's also having a cigarette in the other way and of course i'm just looking at each other and it's just like my goodness like here we are and i knew that he was going to the same the same course and we're both having a cigarette and we sort of pulled up at the same time and just looked at each other and it's kind of i mean we had a laugh about it i've i ended up studying yoga with this guy a few years later and so sort of, we we both thankfully managed to find our way back but look it's it's sometimes it looks like that it's it's probably better than to do that than not to do it at all uh, oh, if God, yeah. but, but it's um it, yeah this it's it's nice to come to things with with an element of freshness and when you when you do let go of drinking you, we have to do something we have to do something the, the only thing that human beings can't do is nothing We're not very good at nothing. And meditation is not the art of doing nothing. Meditation is the art of doing things with awareness and doing things mindfully and being fully present when we do things. Uh, So, you know, we have to do things. And when we stop drinking more so, we have to be, we have to step into life. Because often when we've been drinking, it's been a process of being out of life and when we stop, it's like, "Hey, let's turn up let's let's get out there and, and have some fun, have the experiences, have that journey."
2: Oh, absolutely! Just yes, amen to that. Oh, one thing you could speak to this for me just quickly too that with my challenge groups, I just teach some very very basic uh, mindfulness meditation practices. Mm-hmm. And one thing, because one thing I always say to them all, and I could be wrong, but this is my experience. For me, the mindfulness meditation or or my meditation practice is not about thinking nothing. I mean, ultimately, I love to think nothing and get into Mm. that blissful zone, but it's about recognizing when there's thoughts, Mm. and then being able to come back to your focus. So that's the breath or or your mantra. You know, being able to direct the mind back in a really Mm. calm way I guess but it's not about thinking nothing so I know so many people will say I've tried to meditate I just can't do it
1: mm.
2: I can't do it I can't think nothing and it's not would you agree that it's not about oh, just thinking nothing
1: absolutely thinking nothing is is you know it's, like asking it's, your
2: heart it, to stop beating
1: yeah exactly it's an impossible dream for for most people uh, it, it is actually possible but it, it is a it's a really advanced stage there's a a, a practice that I use called Anthamona, which is the inner silence meditation. But the, the thinking nothing part is way down the track for most. And, and even with my current practice, I've been working with this technique for 15 years. Uh, it's a mindfulness practice. And most mindfulness, whether that's for Vipassana or, or just general mindfulness practices, have many of the common elements. And it's about listening, becoming fully present with whatever you're doing. So one of the techniques that I often do is listen to sounds. It's sitting in nature. Close your eyes, listen to sound, but be fully present with listening to sound. So, if you're listening to sounds and you find yourself drifting away back to whatever it is, go back to listening to sounds. You've got a job to do. Listen to sounds. So, actually, forget about the, the thoughts, even just bringing awareness to the thoughts. That's another couple of steps away, but just be present listening to sounds. Just do that. And then maybe just focusing on sensations. That's another technique. And then once you've got that coming to thoughts. But it, it you actually want thoughts. If you're uh, in, in certainly for the, and when I say I say it's the beginning, it's stage, it's even up to a fairly advanced stage, you're still working with this thought forms and and the patterns of thoughts. And this is when you approach your thinking mindfully, we can begin to see and we talk about this disposition of the witness. Uh, I think you mentioned that before in in Sanskrit. Mm. That's called um, the drashta or or vairangya, this sort of gentle detachment. So I'm having a thought. Maybe I'm thinking about uh, something I want for me. Maybe I'm thinking about a new surfboard. I often think about new surfboards. And uh, I'm sure you understand understand that having a surfer husband, they always seem to
2: <laughs> yeah. just want
1: another surfboard. <laughs> so how many do you need? <laughs> how many do you need? I need lots. You know, how many? I need more than I already have. Anyway, <laughs> and uh, all the surfboards. But I'm thinking about my new surfboard, but maybe I can feel into that. Notice the motivation of what's what it is. What's driving that thought about the new surfboard or, and why do I want the new surfboard and all of the, and it's not about not having the new surfboard. It's just about understanding myself better. And this is the practice ultimately where it becomes super useful and, you know, surfboards are fairly benign, although they do get expensive. And, uh, you know, if it's, if it's drugs or alcohol and you're applying that same thinking and you're not, you're just giving yourself a little bit of spaciousness between the thoughts.
2: Yeah, and also if you're having a craving for alcohol, then it gives you the ability to also notice that you're having a craving rather Mm. than just reacting to it, knee-jerk reaction where you can go, oh, I'm having a craving for alcohol right now. I don't need Mm. to engage in it. But it's just simply a thought and I can witness that and I don't need to be involved with it.
1: Yeah. yeah, It's a superpower. It is. That's a superpower. If you can bring that mindfulness to the these, well, in, in yoga, they call them vrittis, these modifications of the mind. And we've all got stuff. If you stop drinking alcohol, we've still got stuff. Like it's, sure. it, and unless you are perfectly enlightened, uh, mm-hmm. then, which is almost nobody, then there are still underlying patterns of consciousness which are driving our behavior. And so this journey over, over however long, you know, lifetimes as lifetimes as, as it can be, I like the idea of life, not that I'm necessarily an advocate for, Uh, reincarnation but it just takes a lot of pressure I was like I'll get ages I don't need to figure all this out now like I'm I'm actually just gonna I just need to do my best today and and I don't need to have all the answers now but I'm going to turn up and I'm going to try and do a little bit and see how I go but understanding those patterns of consciousness the drives the motivations the fears and seeing how that's affecting behavior in real time that's a that's an incredible power to have uh, that we can ultimately make better decisions, that is yeah. going to improve our karma. It, it will improve our life. That's the that's the beating heart of meditation. That's, that's what we're doing. That's what the whole thing is about.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And like you say, and nobody's perfect. Like we all fuck up. We all, you know, lose our temper from time to time. We all, you know, but we're just learning to become more and more mindful and that hopefully mm. we can get you know, get a bit of distance sometimes between those big emotional reactions and and just, you know, the the cravings or the just the want to make this go away, but you know, mm. slowly, slowly, you know, no one's perfect. So don't think just no. because if you're listening and you think I just fucking lost my temper, I just ate a box of chocolates or I just had a beer, <laughs> you know, it's all okay. It's mm. just a little, you know, it's a teaching moment in life and don't take yep. Don't be so fucking hard on yourselves.
1: <laughs> yeah, self-love is is a big part of it. Yeah, that, uh, the, the, whole, the whole fear and loathing thing is is just it gets really boring and it just hurts yeah. us. That yeah. the the I think the journey can start right now at any time, like right here and right now. Start with a you know a sip, sip, sigh, breath, and then I'm going to do my best from now on. You know I'm gonna you know, apologize for just shouting at my kids or you know and maybe I won't have the next beer if I just had a beer and I you know I don't want to be drinking that giving ourselves the opportunity to to start again at, at at any time and there's a lot of love in that.
2: Oh God, yes. So well said. Thank you for that. Thank you for your beautiful wisdom. You are just incredible. So yeah I really look forward to I'm gonna to come to one of those Yoga Nidra classes on a Wednesday too. So that was too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I will do that. And that's free?
1: Yeah, it's free. That's it's, incredible. It's, it's, it's my little gift to the community. You just turn up and lie down. We've got a great little crew who just, yeah, it's it's a really nice and simple practice. But Amazing. as I said before, I've also got some stuff on Insight Timer, so there's some recordings there. So it, it, yeah. it really is that easy with Yoga Nidra in particular. And I think for most people, I love Yoga Nidra, and it's just so accessible. Yes. Pranayama is is, is also just so accessible because we're all breathing anyway and all we need to do is just assert a little bit of mindful control onto the breath and you know these are gateway practices that are so incredibly transformative uh that you know ultimately i'm working with a system yoga nidra pranayama and and more traditional meditation practices but they're all supporting each other and if you do one it's going to make the other ones better
2: yeah absolutely amazing Thank you so much, Mark. That was amazing. And, um, yeah, as I say, I look forward to to your course in October and thank you so much for coming on the How I Quit Alcohol podcast.
1: My pleasure. Any time and uh, I'll talk to and see you very soon. Thank you. Bye. Thanks, Danny.
2: So many of us feel stuck and unsure of how to make positive changes in life. Journaling is a proven way of keeping yourself on track and creating lasting change. The How I Quit Alcohol Playbook will take you through 365 days of gratitude, daily affirmation and loads of techniques to help you stay on track and head towards a clearer future. Head to the show notes or iquitalcohol.com.au to grab yourself a copy today.